Welcome to the First Baptist Dallas Spring Training Program, our annual Spiritual Disciplines Challenge designed to help you grow in your faith. What are you waiting for? A disciple's journey starts now. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Weekly Check-In Podcast. This is our fifth and final week of a disciple's journey, which has been this year's spiritual disciplines program for First Baptist Dallas. And I hope that a disciple's journey has been an encouragement to you. I hope that it's helped you form good spiritual habits that will lead to a thriving life in Christ. As you know, we've been following along with the life of Peter each day. And this week had us reading First and Second Peter. Now, for the first four weeks, our readings were primarily about Peter. But this week, we're reading something from Peter, something that Peter wrote to other Christians to encourage them and to teach them. So now we're at a point in Peter's life where we can really see the full span of his life, all the way from being a fisherman to becoming one of Christ's followers to being a leader in the church and now writing to the church as a seasoned apostle. He's been a long time following Christ and thinking about the Christian life, and now he has so much to teach us about how to think like Christians, how to live like Christians in the world. So let's talk through some of the big takeaways from Peter's letters, first and second Peter. Right out of the gate, at the beginning of 1 Peter, Peter develops a primary theme for how he thinks about the life of faith. He tells us that God has shown us great mercy in the work of Christ on our behalf through his resurrection from the dead. And that has allowed us to be born again to a living hope. It's given us an inheritance kept in heaven, and that inheritance cannot be defiled or destroyed. This imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance kept in heaven is what every Christian is now working toward. We've been talking about the disciples' journey. And the most important thing about any journey is knowing your destination. If you're walking around and you don't have a destination, you're not on a journey, you're just lost. As Christians, we're not wandering around aimlessly. We have a specific place that we're going, a specific thing that we're seeking, eternal life with God. The destination for the disciples' journey can't be found in this world or in this order of things. Peter reminds us that our destination is found in heaven, and that cannot be ever taken away. It's kept safe for us there by God. We will get to be with Him forever. The reason we're able to look with hope to this eternal destination is because we have assurance of our salvation from God's coming judgment. Peter tells us that in 1 Peter 1.5. Peter helps us see how this knowledge of what we will receive in the future can transform how we experience trials in the present. He says we are grieved by various trials, but we can still rejoice because we know that these trials will refine us and make us more like Jesus Christ, and they will prepare us to meet Jesus Christ. Trials give us a reason to give Him greater praise and glory. As Christians, we love and believe in and find our joy in a God that we cannot see right now, but we walk confidently in the hope that we will see Him one day soon. 
We've called this five-week study A Disciple's Journey. And we drew that image of being on a journey from Peter's own words. And we find those here in 1 Peter chapter 2. The image of being on a journey to a destination is something Peter used to help the church understand what it is to be a Christian. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That's 1 Peter 2.11. Sojourners are those who are in the middle of a long journey. They haven't found their home yet, but they're on their way there. They're making progress each day. And that's exactly what we're trying to do together through spring training. We're trying to make small daily progress as sojourners, as travelers in this world, inching closer each day to our eternal destination, toward an eternal life with God. As exiles, we know that this world is not our home, There's no place in this world where every need will be satisfied. Our joy can never be full here. We can never escape the threat of suffering and trials in this life. But when we go too long without reading God's word or when we give in to sin, we become more attached to this world and to its way of thinking. We get too comfortable here. We subtly begin to think this world is our home. We believe the lie that this world can make us happy, and we wonder why it never seems to satisfy us. But when we look at the world through the lens of Scripture, the way that Peter does here, everything appears in an entirely different light. God wants us to think of this world, of this life, not as the destination, but as part of the journey. You see, God is the destination. He's what we're longing for, what we're working toward, being with him, seeing him. That's the disciple's journey. That's the goal of the disciple's journey. Being with him will bring fullness of joy. It will bring peace and rest that we can't experience in this world. It will bring to us a true and lasting home where we can belong forever. And when that's clear, then so many things follow from it. Everything tends to find its proper place. And as we see here in 1 Peter 2, we can make our faith credible and attractive by living honorable lives among non-Christians. We can operate within human institutions, doing what is good even when others aren't. We can be good citizens, loving one another, fearing God, honoring others and those in authority. We can do all these things because we don't view our nation or our leaders as permanent or premier. We see them rightly relative to the master plan of a sovereign God. We are subject to human authorities, not for their sake, but for the Lord's sake. Doing our best to represent to these human authorities, to the world, our Christ and his kingdom, rather than trying to build our own kingdoms. We can even endure being slandered and misunderstood because we're following the example of Jesus Christ. We are entrusting ourselves to a just God who will judge rightly in the end. We know that everyone will, quote, give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, 1 Peter 4, 5. So we allow God to sort it out rather than trying to do it ourselves. Again, we entrust ourselves, we entrust our lives until the sovereign plan of our Lord and Savior, of our Heavenly Father. 
Peter goes on to describe more implications of this Christian perspective. It means we don't run around scared or afraid when we encounter opposition. We count ourselves blessed. Our response is to gently and respectfully offer an explanation of our hope anytime we're given the opportunity, keeping a good conscience, so that the quality of our lives will ultimately bring honor to Christ and shame on anyone who criticizes or spreads rumors about us. We rejoice in our sufferings because our Lord Himself suffered. And we know that we will one day rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed, 1 Peter 5.13. Instead of fighting for position and for glory in this life, we can entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good, 1 Peter 4.19. And this actually leads to an interesting paradox. When we detach ourselves from this world, when we stop seeking happiness from what this world has to offer, when we stop trying to find our journey's destination in this life, then we actually come to enjoy this life more. We're happier now. C.S. Lewis said something like this once, that if you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. When we try to make a heaven out of this world, we lose this world and we also lose heaven. But when we aim our lives and our hopes at God, at eternal life with Him, we end up living better lives right now and being happier in this life. Finally, be ready. We turn now to 2 Peter, the conclusion of the readings in our program. This book is often called a testament, as in a last will and testament. These are Peter's final words. They're written as his martyrdom is approaching. He tells us in 2 Peter 1.14, quote, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. As Peter reached the end of his life, he wanted to combat a false teaching that was beginning to gain momentum in some Christian circles. Jesus had said he'd be coming back soon. But many of these first-generation Christians in the early church were dying, and the kingdom had not come back yet. And so Jesus had not returned, and that led some to doubt whether he was coming back at all. Peter quotes some as saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, these heretics, these false teachers are saying, if he's coming, where is he? He doesn't seem to be coming back. Peter argues that these false teachers were trying to dismiss the claims of Christ and the Christian hope in order to justify their own sin. You see, their key tactic was to try to make this current order of things seem as though it was in fact, permanent. Whereas they would make promised order of the future start to seem like a fantasy to these Christians. But Peter reminds the church that God remade the world once in Noah's day through the flood, and he can and he will certainly remake it again through the purifying fire of his judgment. So what Christians are looking for is a new creation when we will experience all that God has stored up for us. 
As Peter says, quote, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, 2 Peter 3.13. So that is not a fantasy as those false teachers wanted us to believe. That is reality. That is our promised hope. And we can rest assured that God will do what he says he's going to do. As Peter approached the summit of his journey, when he looked back at all that he had left behind, all that he had given up in order to reach God, he saw clearly just how temporary and small that was. It pales in comparison to what awaited him what awaits every believer when we finally get to see God, when we get to enter into his eternal kingdom. And as we await the day of the Lord, as we await our coming Savior, Peter says we ought to, quote, live lives of holiness and godliness. We are to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish. 2 Peter 3, 12 and 14. We have so much ahead of us. We have so much waiting for us. So be ready for it. Live in view of those promises. And that was Peter's last encouragement to us. And that's a great way for us to conclude our study of his life, of his writings, and for us to conclude our spring training program. Spring training is over, but now the season begins. Well, spring training is just about over. But the reason why we call it spring training is because this has been a time of preparation. Now the season starts. Now the real work starts. You can take the habits, the fundamentals of the spiritual life that you've been building up over the last five weeks, and you can make these a regular part of your life. I'm praying that you'll continue to invest daily in God's word daily time in prayer, weekly time in worship and in fellowship with other believers. And when you do these things, God is going to do incredible things in you and through you for his kingdom. 